Do you live for art? By art, I mean any and all forms of creative work. Is art a central part of your personal identity? Okay, now would you die for art? There's not many people who would say yes to that, not without some hesitation. But what if we rephrase the question? Would you risk your life for art? Perhaps you're a photographer who sometimes gets a little too close to the edge of a cliff to get that perfect shot. Or a writer who uses drugs and alcohol as part of your creative process and you don't trust yourself to write well without them. Or a graffiti artist who boldly enters restricted areas to tag a perfect heaven spot. I think you see what I'm getting at. Creative minds are not bound by society's limits and expectations. And there's a liberty in that, but there's also a danger. There's a lot of ways we might risk our lives for art and not even realize it. Which begs the question, is art dangerous? On January 2nd, 2018, I risked my life for art. I didn't do it knowingly, but I put my life and my friend's life in danger all the same for the sake of art. I've never shared the story on the show. I call it the Devilwood Incident. On January 2nd, 2018, I was filming a music video with a good friend for a song I was releasing that month called Devilwood. I'll put a link to it in the episode details. Now, for this music video, I had this gem of an idea to film in the deep woods of Staten Island in New York City, where of course my friend James and I could hopefully avoid permit regulations and such inconvenient realities of artistic life. So there we were, two men dressed in black in the middle of the woods. What could go wrong? Despite the sub-zero temperatures, it was a beautiful midwinter day. I remember the air had that cold cutting sensation and my toes felt frozen numb despite the fact I had three layers of socks on. Fun times. Anyone who's ever shot a film knows that special feeling of a shooting day. It's really magical. You feel invigorated. The scenes that day involved a number of bizarre setups. There was an antique mirror we had hung from a tree and shattered with a crystal ball. I had dug some holes with an old shovel. There were severed doll parts strewn across the ground. We had two old camcorders on tripods. There was a switchblade lying around. We had even set up a dining room table with chairs in these woods. And of course, I had a gas mask. At the time, the gas mask served as a kind of symbol for the dark pop music project I was producing, called Catharsis. In promotional photos and videos, I would often show myself dressed up as this otherworldly shadow figure who wore all black, a hood, and a gas mask. All of these elements combined really gave the scene some black magic or serial killer kind of vibes, which turned out to be the recipe for a near-fatal misunderstanding. James and I were wrapping up shooting. At that moment, I heard the sound of crunching leaves, and I looked to my right, toward the direction we had entered the woods. Thirty feet away, I saw ten people approaching our location. They were far enough away that I couldn't tell who they were. I turned back to James to see if he saw them. 
When I looked back at them, the man in the center of the group seemed to take the lead. He raised a gun at me and yelled, Hands up! Which seemed to cause a domino effect, and all ten people in the group raised their guns and trained them on us. I froze, without intending to. I froze in place, hands at my sides, and looked them dead on. My brain had never rehearsed such a scenario. It had never connected these neural pathways before that I could be in the position of someone who was committing a crime of such severity that ten guns would be pointed at me because of the danger I posed. The strangeness of that thought is what shocked me in place. Perhaps registering my inaction, they all rushed forward, flanking us, yelling more forcefully, Hands up! Down on the ground! Face down on the ground! Hearing this, a voice appeared in my head, and with a firmness commanded me to move slowly, follow directions, speak deliberately, with the implication that my life depended on it. As James and I knelt down slowly, I could see the group rushing toward us, surrounding us with their guns still drawn. Adrenaline was now flooding my bloodstream, and my brain issued forth the panicked thought, what if these aren't police officers? I looked, and to add to my confusion, I saw half of them were in plain clothes. But what option was there? To run? The voice in my head firmly repeated, move slowly, follow directions, speak deliberately. As I laid my face on the dirt and the dried leaves, one of the men patted me down, quickly and thoroughly, like he knew what he was looking for. After finding nothing, they told us both to rise, and the questions began. Are you the owner of a blue Hyundai with license plate HP52511? Is your name Milos? Do you have a rifle? That last question caught me off guard, and I made a point of looking at the officer directly and saying, No, no, absolutely not. Another officer asked, Do you have a rifle anywhere around here? I said, No. He responded, So if we got a search dog here and they looked around this forest, will the dog find a rifle? Now, I was tempted to play devil's advocate and say that logistically maybe the dog might find one that belonged to someone else, but I could tell this was the wrong crowd. So I said, no, no, there's no rifle. Can I ask what this is about? At this point, all ten officers were still surrounding us, but their guns were holstered, nine men and one woman, a mixture of plainclothes and uniformed officers, hands on their hips, half looking at us and half taking a cursory glance at the uncommon amount of weird black magic serial killer stuff laying around them. Someone called ten minutes ago saying that they saw you taking a rifle out of your car and running back into the woods. I was dumbfounded and said, What? He went on, Someone called in an emergency that you took a rifle out of your car. Were you at your car ten minutes ago? I said, no, definitely not. We've been here in the woods. Sorry, officer, we're just filming a stupid music video. He repeated, so you weren't at your car ten minutes ago? They were very clear they saw you. I put aside the rifle accusation for a moment and considered what this claim about going to the car could mean. Then it dawned on me. I said, oh, yes, about 40 minutes ago, I went to the car because we needed to get another tripod and we were chasing sunlight, so I was in a hurry. He thought for a second. Another officer asked, How many of you are out here? I said, Just the two of us. 
He tried again. Any more in the woods here? I responded, no, no. Oh, it was the tripod. They saw me taking the tripod. The lead officer said, what tripod? You know, for the camera. I half motioned with my hands, but quickly remembered just a moment ago, 10 guns were drawn at me. The phrase echoed in my mind, move slowly, follow directions, speak deliberately. I could tell they were trying to piece it together, all of them, turning the narrative inside out, trying to find holes in it, like the detectives you see on TV. Except this wasn't a case they could crack. This was something outside of the limits and expectations they had of ordinary civilians. This was some weird shit. They mulled it over. James pointed at the mess of shattered glass and told the officer next to him we were filming a music video and we were going to clean it up. The officer waved his hand and said, yeah, yeah, I don't care. And he was right. They didn't care. They weren't here for that. As five of them questioned us, the other five sifted through our things. Another officer asked me, is there anything else we should know about that you have here? I took a deep breath and thought and let out a long, um, and here's where it all dawned on me. The gas mask, the switchblade, the shovel, the camera, the woods, the phantom rifle. Things were not looking so good. He said, what's the shovel for? I responded, oh, uh, yeah, we were using that in the music video to dig up like a crystal ball thing that was underground. He repeated, anything else we should know about that you have here? I said, there's a gas mask. He looked surprised. A gas mask? Where's that? I pointed, over there. He nods his head. One of them goes to look at it. Silence. During the silence, I considered some things. How would this situation be playing out if one of us had panicked when we saw ten guns and decided to run? How would it have played out if they interpreted the panicked run as a sprint for the phantom rifle they were so sure we had? How would things have played out if one of us still had the gas mask on when they drew their guns at us? And how would things have played out if we weren't just some weird white dudes they'll tell their spouse about later that night, if James and I were black, or looked Muslim, or anything but white? And in that pensive silence, they just slowly began to turn and walk away. No apologies, no you're free to go like in the movies, just a slow and silent return to normal life. As they left, I took out my phone and snapped a photo of them. There's no way anyone would believe us otherwise. James and I finally made eye contact, released multiple sighs of relief and a slew of curse words, and began to pack up our stuff. In the days and weeks that followed that Devilwood incident, I reflected on the dangers of art. I reflected on the idea that creative minds are not bound by society's limits and expectations, and there's a liberty in that, but there's also a danger. There is no formula for what a creative mind will do. If it was well known that all creatives go into forests at some point in their 30s to film music videos with gas masks, well, then a random person probably would not have called the police on us. Ten guns. Still boggles my mind. And finally, I reflected on that strange question, a question I had never thought about before. Would you die for art? Or perhaps, would you risk your life for art? Apparently, the answer was yes.
I'm telling you. Art is dangerous. This was Exhibit A in a new little mini-series I'm going to be producing under the theme of Art is Dangerous. These will be little bite-sized episodes which will come out in between the long-form narrative episodes, which you love and expect from Creative Codex. I hope you enjoyed it. Future installments will include segments about art censorship around the world and suicide amongst the art's occupations. We got a lot to talk about. What's nice is that this short mini-episode form allows me to experiment and explore a bit more. On that note, if you have a story you'd like to share with us about how art is dangerous, please email me at info at mjdorian.com. That's I-N-F-O at M-J-D-O-R-I-A-N.com. I'd love to consider bringing you on the show for one of these segments. We could record your cautionary tale for all to enjoy. The story I shared with you today is absolutely true, and the image you can see in your podcast player for this episode is the photo I snapped of the police officers as they were making their exit, without any apologies, mind you, no manners at all. The day after the incident happened, I wrote it all down, so everything you heard is the exact back and forth which occurred in my interaction with the police. On listening back to it, I realized their questions were very repetitive and might make for a boring back and forth in a story, but it seems that it's a method of cross-examination that police must be trained in. You might have noticed a very consistent pattern of asking the same question in three different ways, perhaps as a way to test the consistency of a testimony. So yes, no embellishments were made, and also no edits to what I initially transcribed about the event. I want to give a big, warm thank you to my friend, James S., for helping me out with that shoot. And I'm sorry again, brother, that I put you in harm's way. Fortunately, neither of us panicked, cooler heads prevailed, and we made it out the other side. You can see the music video that resulted from that successful shoot by following the link in the episode notes below. I'd like to also give a big thank you to our singer and vocal alchemist, Shelley Thomas. She is the singing voice you hear in the music of this episode. It's from a song I worked on with her called Dwell Within Me. You can listen to it by clicking the link in the episode details. She is just a wonderful creative soul. Go follow her work on Instagram at Shelley Thomas Music. S-H-E-L-L-E-Y-T-H-O-M-A-S-M-U-S-I-C. Link for that also in the notes. Next episode is going to be a fun in-conversation episode where I talk to Lafreak about her Art is Dangerous story and a deep dive into her songwriting process. You don't want to miss it. After that, back by popular demand, Carl Jung's Red Book, 
part three. Can't wait for that. Till next time, I'm telling you, art is dangerous. <laughs>